U.S. is something very interesting. So, so on a logical side, we really should go in, and because it's expensive, there are a lot of healthcare problems that we could solve with early detection there. And、uh, if we go to traditionally non-medical focused players, there will be a lot of opportunities. When we do go to、um, medical players, there are sometimes considerations on whether this is expensive enough, and、uh, whether. They would make a big enough cut to justify going in. So, so that that's really an interesting part on how we should tackle the system and、uh, sort of align all the interests as well, because it's important in everywhere. Welcome to another episode of the Untold Podcast, where we tell the stories of founders and funders and how they arrived at this particular point in their careers. Today, I have a wonderful guy by the name of Justin Chan. I'm going to let him do the intro on himself, but a quick snapshot of the things that he's going to be embarrassed about seeing. So, 30 under 30s, Forbes magazine.、Um, we're going to ask him a little bit of how he got there. Uh, Cambridge graduate and his startup called Gents,、uh, little over five years ago, is now heading、uh, has now just cleared a pre A round, and they have a piece of technology that is looking to revolutionise how medical diagnostics is done in a more decentralised and possibly remote、uh, healthcare situations. Justin, hi. Thank you for coming. No, no, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit more about you know yourself and how you got here. Sure. Um. So I was always focused on impacts. Like um, we 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 I, I tried a couple of things um before I eventually landed on Gens. It's always about how we can make real innovation to help people, and、um, it was very organic. We we, we met a couple of friends. We started this idea about a technology called EIT. We just organically grew from there to see what makes the most impact. So it went from something with an idea that、uh, we have something medical being well understood for a number of decades, to something that、uh, we can put it from the end stage patient to something very very early stage. And、um, we grew the team from there. We got more supporters from there. We got more clients, and、uh, that that's a you know very organic sense of how we got here.、Mm. We'll get more into that.、Um... Technology in a second, but、uh, earlier you were telling me you were working on two startups at the same time, right? And on on one of them, you were doing something quite interesting. Yeah, so we we were with、um, the Myanmar government, the one that、uh, was you know the, the past one before the coup, and、uh, it was just opening up that country. And we went in to help the government issue government bonds that could build up small infrastructures like、uh, water, electricity, and on village level. And、uh, it, it was quite interesting. We got a for for thirty under thirty of that.、So、we get to meet a lot of interesting characters. We met Obama, quite a few few people from that as well. And, and we started making an impact. And obviously, there there are challenges as well. And、um, COVID hit, and then there's a coup as well. So、um, that's something that、uh, was a very interesting part that we did make some impact, and then we're hoping to go back to eventually. So, like it sounds to me. You like to take big problems <laughs> and then bring it closer to like how it's more usable to people, right? I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah, no, I think those are the problems that are worth 
solving. Because uh, if you iterate, you can still solve a big part of it. You start with something big. And uh, I think uh, that that's where most effort could go into when you have real innovation, then uh, you can make sure it's a lot more scalable. And it's something that uh, I would feel worth the time going into as well, because uh, we would like to think of ourselves as innovators. And uh, if you want, do want to innovate, it's good to have a space that you can actually make this useful to most people. So start with big ones and then uh, it will make sense down the line. So... Tell me a little bit about the problem you're trying to solve with with gents. What's the issue? It's accessibility. So, so it's just healthcare. I think even before COVID, we see strong sense of uh, medical system is always overburdened. Um, before COVID, everywhere in the world, when you have public healthcare system, the wait is like a couple of years. It's not abnormal um, for non-urgent patients, and uh, you always see cases where people get uh, disease notification or they found out quite late. And then there's a lot less they can do about this. Mm. And a part of it is down to checkups being not frequent enough. It's not early diagnostic enough. And then there's just no risk factor that you can you can look at. And that, that's where we're, we're trying to get in. We're trying to help with um, making something very affordable, very convenient. Feel you get tested quarterly, every half a year or even sooner. And it has to be convenient enough that uh, we can bring it to your home, bring it to your offices, um, bring it to places uh, in elderly homes, community centers, that not even um, requiring nurses or highly trained medical professionals to do it. And that's how we can help with the scalability and help with uh, the accessibility of it. So let's just uh, flash the device up on screen here and then maybe um, you can talk us through a little bit about what the device does. Sure. Um, so the device is essentially something that's uh, palm-sized. And it connects to two things. It connects to the internet where we do all the cloud computing there which feeds back to the tablet for, for surface provider to actually do the test and look at results. So that's one side. The other side, we, we have a belt that uh, we essentially wear around the body part that we want to scan. So uh, if it's lungs, we wear it lower chest and then liver just above the bottom of the rib cage and uh, kidney a bit lower. And it's essentially a one minute scan. Um, we, we look at the electrical properties of organs and based on that, uh, we can tell, for example, the severity of a fatty liver tissue and the abundance of it similarly for kidney damages and some of that as well. And um, we venture all of this with uh, medical standards so that uh, it's something that uh, could be understood and used by medical professionals as well, but at the same time, layman enough for people to follow up with um, the reports that we have, with advices that we have, and uh, generally looking at how we can reduce the sector and improve the health as well. Okay, so you're published as well, right? So this this is published research. It's not you know some shady algorithm that... You know, no one understands. This is proven tech. Yes, yes. So, so this big part of the development process that we really try to get right, and we do have ten professor partners just in Hong Kong. We have more overseas as well, and uh, we publish with them. They, they put their names on the paper as well, and we use the patients. They help us uh, go through some of the clinical trials, and we're publishing a Nature scientific reports um, and um, you know top journals internationally as well. So um, those are online. So from an innovation standpoint, I feel like you're at the beginning of a disruptive cycle almost. You know, when classic Hayden Christensen disruptive innovation, you take the giant supercomputer that occupies an entire floor of a university or an entire building, shrink it into a floor, shrink it into one rack, Mm. shrink it into a home PC, shrink it into now a watch. 
Yeah. So, so is that? Do you think there's a trajectory like like that that you're on at the moment? Um, you've gone from very heavy industrial, you know, next to the bed end stage care device to something that fits in the size of your hand. Yeah, no, that's certainly it, it's that as well. So, um, smaller size, more convenient. Um, it's definitely a trend. And then there's also one big trend I think medically it's very important is to policy support as well. So we, we do see the beginning of a trend that uh, the policy makers are not just talking about it. We were really trying to make something happen now. And and that that's quite important, I think, uh, with the push of COVID, with the openness uh, of private sector uh, players that are more adaptive to digital changes. Uh, and that that's what we see at the beginning of that change as well, because the uh, medical industry inherently, and they should be quite conservative. So um, with everything going on, there's a big push towards making that change. And, you know, on a policy level, uh, on, on primary care level, that uh, we do need to do a lot more in this space. Our whole healthcare system seems to be geared towards curing rather than preventing. Yeah, but curing is always one big part because um, that, that's a dramatic point, right? Yeah. You cure a person and then, and then it's basically a big life-changing event. But a pre- preventive, it's certainly one big side. And even with our generation, we're seeing a lot um, of, of things going on in here, especially COVID as well. People are a lot more health conscious. So a preventive is certainly one way that uh, we will see the growth of market. What do you, I mean, to me, this sounds like a no-brainer, okay? But, you know, as we know, there are so many startups out there that have no-brainers and yet they still can't commercialize. They still can't get to market. What's the biggest hurdle you've had in this whole process? Has it been the regulators? Has it been what, what, what's, what has it been? Um, throughout the journey, there are things that uh, we do need help with, um, like hiring, like uh, f- financing. We, we, we close our investment round with our grants. But one part that was a really quite big struggle, especially with MedTech, where we need quite a lot of R&D, would be the cash flow upfront. So we had, uh, luckily, quite a few grants coming in from the government uh, from, from the start, and it's been uh, sort of slowly increasing. But uh, part of the system's uh, requirement is that uh, you do need 12 to 24 months, even more, for reimbursement. Mm. So there are times that uh, we do have to somehow find the money and pay people first, yeah. or before we can get things back in. So there was a good year or more that uh, aggregate in my account and uh, the company account, we have like a couple hundred bucks Hong Kong um, through all that process. Believe me, there's a lot of people listening yeah. who can <laughs> empathize with that. Yeah, no, no, but uh, but yeah, um, it, it, it works out. And if you go through that period and then uh, you basically survive one big part that uh, makes your work a lot more defensible yeah. in that sense. So, so I have two comments on that. First comment is, you know, looking at that, you either have balls of steel um, or laser-focused vision. Which one is it? You don't really have a choice at that point. I basically jump into startups. Um, I always knew if I go into corporate, eventually I'd be miserable enough to start my own thing as well. So why not start early <laughs> when the opportunity cost is a bit lower? Yeah. You don't have to, you know, worry about family or yeah. the responsibility as much. So uh, it's really a dive into this and uh, we have to succeed. That brings us um, that focus. And uh, basically when you don't have a choice, it would work out. Yeah. Uh, it's more of that. Well, I think for some people it's you don't have a choice. 
for other people, you know, they would say, oh, I could just give up, right, and get a, go, I could go to a cushy consultancy and, and do a consultancy yeah. job. Well, it, it's, it's something that the weather you enjoy doing as well. So there's always a, a backup pathway with, you know, our teams of engineering background. There are a lot of things that we could do. But at the same time, whether you would be making as much of an impact, whether you would be creating something of value that you can call your own, whether you can dictate the terms on uh, how you drive innovation and have that satisfaction when it actually happens. It's not something that you might get as much yeah. in job. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, that unites the team a lot on in, in, in that aspect. And uh, that that's probably one of the main reasons we were still sticking with this. So what's... You know, this, this technology has been around for a while. What was the trigger point where in, in societies at large that makes this solution relevant today? So um, the entire system with COVID um, is sort of a wake-up call that uh, we do need to, to push a lot more into this. And there's a sense of survival from both the public and private sector side that we really need, do need to do something. And there's a real act on this rather than just talk to go make this happen. So, you know, what's, you know, you're, you're in Hong Kong at the moment, right? Mm. Where to next? Are these the types of things you're looking at? Yeah, no. So, so emerging markets, US, definitely something that uh, we do need to tackle. Um, right now, we're in Hong Kong because we're based here. But at the same time, the next step really is to build up that confidence. It's very new technology. So we're, we're going for countries that uh, have respectable healthcare system in, in Western um, parts of the world that we can deploy. Uh, but at the same time with that, we, there are a lot of groundwork that we can already start doing in emerging markets because this is something that's a lot more scalable and a lot more affordable as well. And uh, it, it makes sense for us to go there. So it's definitely sort of a, after we have that confidence built up, we can simultaneously start building those. US is something very interesting. So, so on a logical side, we really should go in. And uh, because it's expensive, there are a lot of healthcare problems that we could solve with early detection there. And uh, if we go to traditionally non-medical focused players, there will be a lot of opportunities. When we do go to um, medical players, there are sometimes considerations on whether this is expensive enough and uh, whether they would make a big enough cut to justify going in. So, so that, that's really an interesting part on uh, how we should tackle the system and uh, sort of align all the interests as well because it's important in everywhere um, it's wild that's a wild wild answer like for for you know not it's like we, we're not going to adopt this technology because it's too cheap well yes yes that that's feedback that we we do get from time to time so so you know uh, are there opportunities to look at obviously you know your new yorks and san francisco they their doctors want lots and lots of money to deploy this but what about remote regions in the US? Like, do you see like if there's a Walmart there, or if there's like a Walgreens, or you know, and and they don't have all of this other imaging technology nearby? Hmm. Is it a case to deploy it there? Is it a government kind of purchase that that out at these locations? It could be both. It, has, it could be a private sector. It could be a public sector play. Um, but um, the, the main thing um, with every country, every medical system, is that it has to be complementary. So we, we're not trying to you know, take people's money off the table, yeah. uh, take away their revenue. So this is one part that we could complement the system. So telemedicine has been talked about for a long time and then in not so remote places, like even suburbs, to get access to medical equipment, it takes 
hours of drive sometimes. Yeah. And having something that can be deployed locally that could give you some early indication really just by your doorstep is already a big path that could help the system. Um, as it, it could be seen as a funnel to other channels within the medical system. And obviously it helps the well-being for people as well. And it's not necessarily competing with yeah. existing um, sort of players. And, yeah. and that that's one big part that we do see how we can complement in, into this. And obviously there's always a big government play for a public healthcare system where you catch it early, you spend a lot less in treating them. So this last mm. question is uh, an open-ended question we ask all founders and it goes back to our vision discussion mm. right, at the, right at the beginning. Yeah. So if there was one thing that you're hoping to change about the future of the industry, mm. what is it? It has to be accessibility. It has to do with early detection. It has to do with um, how do you monitor chronic diseases? Because a lot of things are really um, preventable if you catch it early. And uh, a lot of reasons why people are not catching this early could simply be down to the cost of it, convenience of it. I've seen people who just don't want to get checked up because they don't want to go to clinics. Um, all of those, and uh, whether you can even do this outside of clinics, um, whether you have community centers, all of it, so that it's a lot more accessible, whether it's home or not, um, it would be a big part of uh, promoting that uh, preventive aspect of things. And uh, if you do have disease, unfortunately, how can you catch it when it deteriorates really early as well so that you can prevent it? So, so, all of those boils down to how early you can detect this and it's about accessibility of things. And that that's where I see the sector going into next steps. Justin, great talking to you. Yeah. And thank you very much for coming past our very chilly studio today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We're going to keep an eye on your progress uh, and we wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>